Glory Ali is rewriting the rules on leadership, business success, making money, and changing the world for women. This is the podcast for creative and ambitious female entrepreneurs or women contemplating the entrepreneurial path. Each week, you'll hear incredible stories of entrepreneurs from around the world discussing the most important areas of their lives, business, personal growth, and balancing family and career. Here, you can get the resources, tools, and skills you need to prosper and succeed. Welcome to the Sisterhood of Successful Entrepreneurs. Now, here's your host, international speaker, entrepreneur, and business strategist, Glory Ali. Hey guys, welcome back to the Sisterhood of Successful Entrepreneurs podcast and a huge welcome if this is your first time listening. Today, my guest is Connie Whitman. She helps ambitious entrepreneurs, leaders, and sales team build powerhouse organizations to achieve wildly outrageous goals. She's an international speaker and influencer. Connie's inspired teaching and transformational tools and content ensures entrepreneurs and salespeople grow their revenue streams through enhanced internal and external communication skills while developing strong relationship-based cultures. So we're so lucky to have her here today. Connie, thank you so much for joining us today. And today's episode, we want to get deeper into conversations about sales. And, you know, sometimes sales can feel icky to people and you are the perfect person to be on the show today to talk to us about sales. Thank you so much, Gloria. I, you know, I love talking. So I love these podcasts and I love sharing, you know, my 38 years of sales experience and sales should never feel icky. It should feel rewarding. Absolutely. I totally agree. So I want to dive into the subject, but first, why don't you introduce all of your amazing work, who you are and what you do? So my, my background personally is I've been in financial sales for 38 years. And, and Glory, when I say that, I almost have to look around and say, wait, who's been doing something for 38 years? Because <laughs> in my mind, I'm 17, right? But you know, I, I grew up in the financial industry, started in insurance, and then moved my way into banking, where in the late 80s, early 90s, banks started introducing different investment opportunities or options for their clients. And I had my Series 7 license and my insurance licenses. So I kind of pivoted from insurance. I didn't love that industry, but I loved helping individuals with their cash flow, how to protect their assets. Like I found my home. So I I got into the banking um, industry as an investment representative and just loved it. And then from there, opportunities just find you. And I became a regional sales manager. So I managed a team of about probably a thousand employees overall in my region at that time. And again, for me, it's always about and and let, let me take a step back, Lori. You know, who am I? I believe that when we talk to our customers, I don't care what options or products or services that you're selling, you have to sell with your heart. And and that's why it should never feel icky. So when we put our customer first and truly try to serve whatever their needs are, right, no matter what you're selling or what your options are that you're offering, you should look at that person and say, how can I serve them? How can I help them? And how, when they walk away from me, I need them to be in a better situation or position 
than before they met me. And if you always come from that perspective, you'll always win. And I think that's why I was always so successful in sales and why opportunities like being a regional manager and all of those things came to me because I really communicate well with everyone who's in my orbit. They matter. I don't matter, right? I'm a secondary, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a piece of information to help them, but they are the, the reason why, I, for me, my clients are the reason I get up every morning. Wow, that is amazing. And I'm glad that you put it that way. But you manage a thousand people like yeah, yeah, yeah. listen but not not directly like yes, there was yes. a chain mm-hmm. of command yeah so the responsibility was probably when all was said and done about a thousand employees but no they did not report directly i would have ripped my hair out <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you're responsible for all of them so yes for sales mm-hmm. yeah yep. my region mm-hmm. so for a lot of entrepreneurs uh, like i was saying just to hear the word sales paralyze them right in their tracks and it did for me at the beginning, I was so scared and like really it stopped me from moving forward. And so I had to really take a deep look into myself and I took a step back and I'm like, why am I so scared? And when I went back and started really thinking, okay, why am I triggered by sales? And then all of a sudden it hit me. I'm driving on, on uh, the turnpike here in New Jersey, right? Mm-hmm, yep. And I'm driving and all of a sudden it just hit me. I was like, oh my God. I have always said, for since I can remember, like being in high school saying, I can't sell anything if it was to save my life. And I've repeated those same words over and over and over again throughout my life. And that's when I realized, oh my gosh, I've been telling. So my subconscious is, is saying, no, you can't sell. That's exactly right. And that's why it felt so icky and scary to me. Um, And it took me, it took me some time to get over it. It's not something that I got over right away because I really had, I had to get a mentor. I had to get a coach to help me through this limiting belief that I had. And it was then with my coaches that it helped me realize that, you know, sales is just a, just a conversation. Correct. But what I want to say is that we need coaches and mentors and people like you to help us get through this obstacle or, or this, this um, limiting belief that's holding us back. If we don't have these people to help us, we'll just stay stuck and we won't move forward. It's true. And I'm really proud of you that you, you self-reflected, right? You did that little self-assessment as you were driving because you were thinking about it, right? You're, I call it percolating. You're percolating yeah. about, mm-hmm. hmm, why is this? Why is this? Why is it so difficult? And then the answers come to us, right? When we ask, we have the answers inside. We just have to be ready to listen. So and when it you're took driving, me months to sure. realize this. It wasn't something like I started thinking about it and it came to me right away. No, because I didn't sell anything. I was just stuck and I was like, oh my God, I'm so scared. So this wasn't something, that's why I needed to find a coach and a mentor to help me because I knew that I wasn't going to get anywhere because I was so afraid. Yeah. And, and you said it, it's a limiting belief. And by the way, we all have limiting beliefs about a myriad of, of things. So you're not alone. Everybody listening, just understand you're not alone. And remember also that those limiting beliefs come in the form of, and I call it the negative record player, that repeating, um, and I say it gets stuck for those of you that remember records, you know, the, the vinyl records, you get stuck, it would skip, it would skip, it would skip. That's what's happening. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. Ooh, somebody's going to find out that I'm a fraud. I don't know enough people. Whatever your ne- negative record record player is telling you, it's, it's your own self-talk. It's not real, but you have to do exactly what you did, Glory, is say, wait a minute, 
what the heck am I doing? This isn't true, right? I am good enough. I am smart enough. I am not a fraud. I bring a lot to the table. I care about my clients. I have a great service. So we just, I call it a pattern interrupt in psychology. I think that's what they call it. You have that negative record player. What you have to do is exactly what you did, Glory say, holy crap, there it is again, and then shift and say, no, wait a minute, I am good enough. I am smart enough. I have a great product or service. I am wonderful. But you have to catch yourself in that negative record player, those limiting beliefs. We just have to catch ourselves. Not, I'm not saying it's an easy thing to do, but you have to, you have to self-reflect and raise your awareness. Yeah, we have to be self-aware. You do. You um, do. Do you remember that movie, Drop Dead Fred? Vaguely. Back in the back in the eighties, it was this guy. They were um, on the beach or something like this, and this guy died. And the guy that was with him would pretend that he was alive, and it was so funny. It was a comedy. It was really funny. So I t- I call my eagle friend, right? <laughs> so every time this is so funny, people laugh at me all the time. So every time I find myself with this limited belief or or this little fear, I say, "Drop dead, Fred." You know, get out, of, right. get out of here. Drop That's dead, right. friend. I could do this. I can get over it. Let me figure out how I'm going to do this. But for some reason, that movie, Drop Dead Fred, just stuck in my mind. And so I just call my ego Fred. And whenever something pops up, I'm like, drop dead, friend. Move over. Good. <laughs> that, that, move up. Get out of my way. That's exactly right. That's how you handle it. Yeah. So how do you go about helping entrepreneurs and salespeople embrace that sales flow conversation? to eliminate common issues you hear frequently. I do. So it's funny when, so 38 years, right, in sales. Okay, 20 years ago, the bank that I was working for um, in the late 80s, early 90s, banks, it was like merger mania. Every time you turned around, banks were merging, buying each other out. It was, it was craziness. So I remember a bank had come in to purchase the bank I was working for, and I'm, I won't mention any names, but I did not want to work for that particular new comp- new new bank that bought us because they were anti-customer service. And every bone in my body is customer service driven, which to me is sales. Service and sales, they go hands in hands. So I remember coming home and I, we, I had a two babies at home. I had a one-year-old and a four-year-old. We had a mortgage and I come home to my, and we needed my incomes. You know, living in New Jersey is not inexpensive. So right. We we needed my income. (laughs) So I remember coming home and I said to my husband, this bank, you know, bought us out and um, yeah, I don't want to work for them. So my husband says, okay, you know, what do you want to do? And by that point I was a senior vice president and I had been with this bank for 13 years at the time they were giving very nice packages away. So I said to my husband, I'm kind of done. I, I want to, I'm going to ask them to give me a package. I want to get fired and we're married 28 years in January glory. So he's still married to me. He gets me. So I said, I want, to get, I want to get fired and I want to take that package and I want to start my own business. So we have a little safety net. I had a 13-month package. So I am not risk adverse, but when I look at a risk, this was a big risk to go from getting a paycheck and, and commission checks on top of that to nothing, right? You know, creating your own business. I had that 13-month safety net. So I, to me, that was a calculated risk. I trust myself, my work ethic, and my network and abilities and all of those things. So 20 years ago, I pulled the plug and started my own business. And I'm answer, long and short, I don't mean to go make this longer than it needs to be, but when I started my business, I sat down because now I was going to teach, right? I was going to be a consultant, go to companies and teach their sales teams how to communicate and have better conversations with their clients. 
So I really had to sit down and think, what have I done that has made me so successful? How do I translate that to help to be able to teach and be able to show people how to create those really dynamic, wonderful, engaging conversations. And it was funny, I I originally came up with a six-step process. And after using that for a few years, it it grew and became a seven-step process. And I have a book, my first book is coming out July 16th, uh, 2020, this year. And it's an easy peasy. I believe in things being easy peasy because if you make them too complicated, then we just won't use it. So it's a short, easy book. I go through the seven steps in detail. I, sh- I share my failures and stories. It's, very, it's a very transparent book about you know, how I learned to manage those seven steps within the sales process to create those engaging, dynamic, easy conversations with the client. And that's really where, what it stems from. Do you want me to talk about the seven steps? Absolutely. That was going to be my next question. (laughs) Okay, good. I didn't, you know, I wanted to, I don't want to just talk and talk. So great. So the seven steps, what I realized again, when I self-reflected was the first one, you have to be super prepared and, and just everybody listening. When I, I give you these seven steps, they're easy to understand, but it takes practice. And within those seven skills, there's a whole mess of sub skills that you have to perfect. So step one, preparation. Step two, building rapport. Step three is asking really good, solid, open-ended questions. Step four is listening. That was the step that I expanded um, after about five years in business. We talk at each other in our society. We don't listen. Step five is presenting your solutions and ideas. Step six is asking for the business, right? Confirming. I don't say closing the sale. I hate that terminology. We're reinforcing, we're building, we're confirming the relationship. So we ask for the business. And then step seven is follow-up, which is a big uh, deficit that I find with salespeople. So now within those seven steps, step one, preparation and follow-up are probably salespeople's biggest Achilles heel, believe it or not. It's not asking for the business. It's being prepared because being prepared means being organized. Your space in your office is organized. Your questions are already prepared. You have an agenda every time you go out to a client. You go in and you have the right paperwork. Your computer is charged. I mean, there's a whole bunch of sub-skills under preparation. And then the follow-up, I think it's like 80% of sales are made in the fifth to 13th contact with with your clients. And literally 80% of salespeople don't make it past the second follow-up. So think about how much money and effort you're putting out and how much money you're leaving on the table because you're not picking up the phone or sending an email. When I'm with my clients and and I'm teaching and and training either businesses or their sales teams, and I see they have no follow-up process, they're tremendously disorganized. See, so the follow-up goes back to organizational skills. You know, my head wants to explode because for me, I see so clearly how much money they're leaving on the table. And it's those, that, that beginning and ending piece of my process is, it's tremendous. There, there's a tremendous amount of money to be made there. So the two biggest issues that you come across in sales professionals is preparation and follow-up. That's where they're losing the money. Well, the follow-up, of course. 
Yeah. And, and yes, absolutely. And because they're not prepared, think about it. They don't have great questions prepared. They're, they're winging it sometimes. And some people say, well, I don't wing it. I go in very organized. I'm telling you, I can look at your template of the questions that you're asking and how you're presenting whatever options you're trying to share with your client you're not organized. You're, you're either presenting all over the place, you're not sharing the benefit of what's in it for the customer, and your questions are just not clear enough that the client knows exactly what you're asking for them to give you a detailed answer. And, and I just want to say one more thing about that question listening and um, presenting piece. When you're in front of your client, 60% of the conversation should be coming from the customer. If you're doing 60 or 70% of the talking, you're talking way too much um, because you're not learning about what's going on in the client's situation. So when you go to present, you have what I call a limited picture of who that client is and what they're short. And, and for me, it's always not only just what, what do you need now, it's how can I partner with you in the future? So they're missing their short and long-term goals of the client because we're not listening and because we're doing most of the talking. I, I, I tell so everybody, you need to put virtual duct tape on your mouth. Stop talking. <laughs> <laughs> so that's awesome. I like, I like to hear that. How do you go about helping entrepreneurs and salespeople embrace that sales conversation? So what I've done is, and I have my first digital class coming out in probably June or July of this year as well, in tandem with the book. So my, my clients for the past 20 years have been corporate clients. So I go in and they're fairly large, but they have fairly large sales teams. So to bring me in and, and teach, I teach classes live up to this point, up to COVID especially, I go in and I, I teach my seven-step sales process. I teach presentation skills with videotaping. So I probably have about 20 different programs, depending on what my clients' needs are, I customize, right, for them. So now with COVID and as I age, doing these live events, traveling a lot, it's, it's fatiguing, right? So I knew last year that I had to start to shift to Pivotal and pivot to a digital platform. So when I get in and I'm, I'm teaching, whether it's live or digital, doesn't really matter. I teach at the core those seven steps, and then we dig into each of the steps about what those skills look like to perfect. And then typically what happens is the organizations will hire me to teach their managers how to coach because you can't, and for business owners that, especially solopreneurs where you're alone, you really need to understand the steps, but then you really need someone to coach you. Like you hired yes. a coach and a mentor. Yes. So you have to kind can't of keep, do it alone. We just you cannot can't, do it alone. You can't. And, and it's funny because, you know, I'm really good at sales, but I'm not good at marketing. So I have a whole team who does all of my marketing. I have a publisher and a PR team to do my book. I don't know how to do it. I don't want to learn how to do it. I'm not good at it. So it's, it's actually works out to be cheaper when you hire someone who's an expert to do it. So we have to learn that you can't do it alone. You need a team and you have to identify what that team is to cover your blind spots. So if you're leaving, for me, if you're leaving money on the table, you need somebody to come, number one, assess, observe, and watch what are you saying? What are you doing? What are your habits? And really do a deep dive. And then you have to be open to that person when they say to you, here's glitch, here's a glitch, here's a glitch, here's a glitch, here's how to remedy it. And you can't be egotistical where you're thinking, oh, not me, I'm perfect. We're not. None of us are perfect. And we all need help. So I, I try to let people 
go through the seven steps. And usually what happens at the end, right after, after they do the training with me, they will clearly see where their deficit is. So sometimes it's definitely, I usually get, oh, preparation and oh, my open-ended questions are not good at all. Okay, let's dig in and work on those. Some people, they're doing really well. When it gets to the follow-up, they say, oh my goodness, I don't follow up at all. That's a problem. So all I do is I help them put processes in place for each of the seven steps so that no matter who you, whenever you go out to a client, your agenda's done. You don't have to think, sit down. What do I need to, it's done already. Print it, bring it, and you're ready to rock and roll with your client. That is awesome. I am big on not reinventing the wheel. I know my strengths. I know my weakness. And, you know, I'm going to hire somebody that knows how to do something that I don't know because I wasted tons of time and energy on trying to figure this technology out that I don't know how, why did I do this? I'm like, no, I'm going to hire somebody that knows how to do it. So I, I'm with you on that. I, that's, I stay in my lane. <laughs> you know, what's funny, Glory, most business owners, because we, let's face it, you opened a business, so you have to be pretty intelligent, right? And you have to believe in whatever your product or services are that you're, you're selling. So we're good at that, right? And we're good at probably running the business. Uh, Usually has some financial background where you understand having a business plan, right? How to manage money. Although I find also people spend money on the wrong stuff. And again, my head wants to explode. But here's the thing, because I've been doing this so long, it's, it's obvious to me. And I understand that we don't know what we don't know, right? We all have blind spots. So that's why I, I'm really impressed by you that you knew you had to hire a mentor and a coach, as do I, because we, you just can't know everything. It's, not, it's just not possible. Yeah, well, my background is, you know, I worked in finance for corporate America for 19 years. So Mm -hmm. I know that there's a sales team. I know there's a marketing team, you know, so that's, that's, you know, why I think the way that I do. Yeah. And, and, you know, I'll share a funny story with you. Your listeners will kind of giggle. When I, when I first started my business, you know, we had the two babies at home and you're trying to save money because I had no money coming in other than that package. And I'm thinking, I got to get this going. I got to get this going. You feel pressure. And so I remember one night, um, came home and, and I, I am a control freak. So like, I don't ever cry. I don't ever complain. It's like, pull your big girl pants up and move on. Right. So I came home one night and, um, I, burst into tears. And my, so my husband's not used to that. And he was like, Oh my God, what's going on? And I said, I just, I can't do everything. I'm food shopping. I'm cleaning. I'm doing laundry. I'm taking care of the kids. I have to do my business. I'm working seven days a week. Like I was like a maniac. And he looked at me and he said, well, what can I do? And I said, well, can you food shop and do laundry? And he's like, "Uh uh-huh, I'm done. Right. All I had to do was ask. And then the other thing I would spend a half a day on a Saturday cleaning because you have to clean your house. So one, he said to me at that point, how much would your hourly rate be if you break it down? You know, I told him and he goes, how much would it cost for us to hire a cleaning lady Mm -hmm. or cleaning person every two weeks? As soon as he said that, see now I'm a finance person. As soon as he said it, I looked at him and I said, I'm finding a cleaning person. Like it, it was ridiculous. The pressure I was putting on myself to save money. If I had spent that half a day on Saturday creating, writing, working on your business, I would have made 10, 20, 30 times more than what I was paying the cleaning person. So sometimes we don't see with clarity what we should be giving up and spending time on our business, which is what we're good at and what we're good at making money on. So that I hope sometimes not talking business, but talking something silly like a cleaning person Mm -hmm. made all the difference in the world to me. 
Yep. I know I send my daughter grocery shopping. <laughs> I was like, I don't yes. got time for that here. Take yes. my card, go grocery shopping because I got other things to do. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so this is going to bring me to my next question. When I'm in coaching sessions with my clients and we discuss sales, one of the things that I often see is there's always a money block um, that's holding them back from asking for the business. Correct. How do you address this issue? So here's, here's the secret, okay? If you get really good at the five steps before the sixth step, which is asking for the business, this should be your, your statement to ask for the business. So I'll send you a contract or, okay, just sign here. Or, okay, let's bring your accountant in next. I, whatever, whatever, that, that's your closing statement. That's how you ask for the business. You should never get objections and you should never get pushback. And the person should say, oh yeah, great, okay, let's do it. So to get to that point, so Glory, here's the trick. Asking for the business, step six, is the easiest step of the seven steps. So how, so now you're thinking, all right, how the heck do you do that, Con? I want to know the secret. I'm you, like, I can't wait for this book to come out. <laughs> I'm telling you, if you get really good at that preparation piece, you get really good at the rapport building piece. And, and I, let me stop there for one second. I want to share with you. So for anyone listening, I'm sure you all have heard of different behavioral models, DISC, Myers-Briggs, there's a color one, there's an animal one. It gives you insight to how your brain is wired and how you communicate innately. It's just how we're born, it's how we're wired. So I have a partner in a second business and um, she was certified in Myers-Briggs, I'm certified in DISC. They're both brilliant models. So if you know what I'm talking about, they're wonderful. For me, though, the, the, the negative to these other models that were out there, you could take the test and what I call cheat on it, meaning you can lie to yourself, answer the questions because they're pretty transparent as to how I want to be, not necessarily how I am. So for me, that's silly. If you're trying to use a tool, answer honestly. With our, we created what's called a communication style assessment, and it's free. You can offer it to your listeners. I'll, I could give you the link at the end. And that we call it the CSA, Communication Style Assessment. You have to rank your answers. So you can't just go in and do high, most least or highest uh, least like me. Um, you have to rank for the five categories. And then you find out if you're a heartfelt advocate or if you're an innovative organizer. And, and there's three others. The other thing we didn't like about Myers-Briggs and DISC is Myers-Briggs, you're an EINJ or DISC, you're an ID. And people, you know, they come through my training. My, before I created this, my corporate clients, I use DISC because it's easy to navigate because there's only four different styles. Uh, Myers-Briggs is a little bit more white coat and academic. So for my corporate clients, we use DISC. And you know, people would come in and I'd say, oh, you're an SC. After they would take the assessment, they go, what does that mean again? So my partner and I, when we were labeling each of the different styles or behavioral patterns, we tried to make them one positive because we do have superpowers with how we communicate and we also have blind spots. And we wanted, so like when I said heartfelt advocate, I'm sure your listeners know if they're a heartfelt advocate because you feel with your heart when you're communicating with your clients, you're always leading with your heart and from a place of care and love. You're a heartfelt advocate and you're advocating for that client, right? So versus I'm an ID, like what does that mean? So when you build rapport, that's another tool I use, again, free resource, because if you don't understand how you're wired, how can you shift when you're communicating so you're really engaging that client the way they need 
to be spoken to. So for example, I, I talk fast, I move fast, right? I'm a stimulating motivator. That's my highest style. I, I want everybody to succeed. I am your champion, right? That's a stimulating motivator. But if I'm speaking to a precise assessor, they're very slow moving. Not that they're not intelligent, highly intelligent. There are inventors in the world. Albert Einstein was a precise assessor. But they think with clarity. They move much slower. They need more detail. They want analytics. So if I'm selling to someone like that, I need to slow my breathing down. I need to provide analytics. I need to provide 10 examples. If someone who's a precise assessor is selling to you or I, Glory, pick up the pace, give me the big picture, I'll make a decision. I don't need the detail. So you have to know who you're communicating with. So that's, see, see how you peel back the onion and now you're thinking, oh my God, rapport building, that's kind of important. <laughs> yeah, so if, if you get good at those five steps, and I mean really good, when you ask for the business, it's sign here and you get no pushback. I haven't had an objection probably since I perfected my own, you know, my own ability in those seven steps. I probably haven't gotten an objection in 15 years because I, and that's the other thing. I don't ask for the business. If I know the client isn't ready to buy, they need, they need more information from me. They need to build trust with me. My one client, uh, I followed up with for five years. They finally hired me with this year. I'm with them 15 years and they were the number one bank in New Jersey in 2018. Wow, that's amazing. But, but I followed up for five years. They weren't yeah. ready mm -hmm. to make that commitment. So yeah. I didn't ask for the business. Why bother? Right? Then you're putting them in a, a feeling bad position. Mm -hmm. yeah. So before we close the show, what's the one thing or tip that my listeners should know or do about improving a sales situation starting today? What's that one thing that they can do to improve their sales situation today? So a couple of things. I don't know if it would be one tip, but... okay. I believe in self-assessing yourself after every meeting, after every sales call, every phone call. Like um, yeah. So for instance, after I train, even I still do this. It's a habit. So this is what you should make a habit. I leave a meeting. I leave a training session. Doesn't matter. And the first thing I do before I put the radio on in the car, I just, I just drive for five, 10 minutes. And I think what went really well with that call or that meeting or that training I did today. And then I think, wow, I have to duplicate that because that's a really good habit that worked, right? They resonated with me. The questions were really good and insightful. Pay attention. Talk into your phone and write down or, or list the questions that you asked that you just got that real dynamic engagement. And then think about what didn't go well or the way I hoped and why. And that's when you'll start seeing where your blind spots are or where you're missing in those seven steps, what skill you're truly missing. Maybe you didn't do enough rapport building and you jumped to the questions too quickly and the person you were speaking with needed that friendly little chit chat in the beginning and you didn't do enough of it. You already have them in a defensive position. You need to analyze that. Why, why didn't I build rapport with them? Did I modify my CSA style? All of those things. So Self-assess what went well. I want to duplicate it. What didn't go well, I need to modify and try something different. Now, here's the thing. You might have to try five different things before you get it right. And always, always take notes. And that's why I created my agenda after about the third, fourth year in business because I had my questions. I knew, I knew they were good and I didn't need to work on them anymore because I had manipulated them over and over and over again to get them into the sweet spot. It takes time. So here's the other thing. 
take the time to do what you need to do to create those dynamic conversations. So that's my first, always self-assess after every meeting, every, every conversation, every Zoom meeting. I don't care what forum or venue you're on, self-assess, self-assess, and be honest with yourself. And then if you, you see a deficit, figure out how to remedy it, hire someone to help you, whatever it is, okay? So figure that out. And then, then execute and practice. The other thing, my other biggest tip that I think gets the most leverage to create those comfortable conversation so that you don't feel icky and pushy and salesy is figure out your behavioral style. Whether you use my free assessment, you do DISC, Myers, I don't care. It doesn't matter. But you have to understand how your brain is wired because that's how you're showing up in the world and that's how your customer is seeing you. And if you don't understand that, how you're being perceived, you're going to lose. You, you, trust me, you're going to close half as much as you should right out of the gate. So if your close ratio is 20%, you're only going to be closing 10% because of that one little glitch, that one little blind spot. All right. So I'm excited to take this assessment. Can you give us the link to that? Love to. Mm -hmm. Sure. So my website is Whitman Associates. So it's W-H-I-T-M-A-N-A-S-S-O-C.com slash, you know, I think it's the forward slash, it's the normal slash, and then CSA. So com slash CSA. All right. And where can our listeners find you on social media? Yeah. So if you go to LinkedIn, just put in Connie Whitman. Um, you'll find me. Facebook, same thing. You could either find me on Connie Whitman, my personal page, or Whitman and Associates. I have a business page as well. And if they jump on that, uh, uh, follow me on social media, or they take the CSA, you'll come on my email list, or you'll you'll see on my social media posts. The book is going to be coming out. The launch is July 16th, and we're offering it for one dollar. Right, awesome. <laughs> so I'm going to also. In the show notes, put the links on there, you know, where they can contact you. And also when the book comes out, we'll put the link on there as well. So guys, let's keep this conversation going. You know, what are you struggling with right now in this uncertain time? Is there anything that you've been able to overcome to keep you from moving forward? I would love to hear all about it. And I'm sure others would too. So I would love for you if you guys would comment, share your stories, join the Sisterhood of Successful Entrepreneurs on Facebook, which is currently my favorite way to connect. And take a minute to let Connie know how this made you feel, what you got out of it. You know, put some encouragement in her inbox, send her some DMs, <laughs> be generous and bless her for being here and for helping us feel confident about sales. Right? What an amazing topic we had today. Thank you so much, Connie, for being here. Thank you, Glory. Really, that was fun. And I, I, I hope your listeners, you know, got some value out of our conversation. Oh my gosh, I did. I know they will. <laughs> Yeah, it matters. You know, we, it's okay for us to make money and, and be passionate about what we do. And you shouldn't feel bad about that. You just, you just have to understand how to communicate really more effectively. We all deserve it, ladies. So you know what? Go out and conquer the world. Absolutely. All right, guys, we're going to hop off. So stay safe, stay in peace. Feel free to DM either one of us and let us know what your thoughts are and how this episode has helped you. Thank you. Take care, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Sisterhood of Successful Entrepreneurs. If you know anyone that would make a great guest for the show, or if you have a question or topic you'd like Lori to discuss, reach out to us at info at We'd love to hear from you. 
If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend us on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also get more great information at GloryAli.com. 